0: Amen. Go ahead, have a seat. Ushers are going to come forward. Let's give out of how God has given to us because it's all from Him. It's all for him. Uh, my name's Ken. I get to be the campus pastor here, and if you uh, were, are here for the first, second, or third time, maybe you got a white bag as you walked in. Uh, that's the beginning of our gift for you. Uh, inside of that is a Get Connected card. We'd love it if you filled that out, and then as you head out today, we've got some really nice people on your right-hand side. Uh, you can drop that, out on, drop that off once you get outside. We got a gift for you, because we want to say thanks so much for being here. Uh, one thing that I will probably forget to talk about later uh, is Tuesday night at Main Campus, we have our kids and Uh, student ministry auction. This funds a lot of what goes on from birth uh, to 12th grade for us, Uh, and we've still got tables and seats available. I got four seats at my table. If you'd love to sit with me or anyone else from Sunnyside who's going to be there, uh, you can buy a ticket or buy a table or talk to one of us, uh, and we'd love to have you there with us. It's a great event. It's fun. It's encouraging, and there's food, and I'm going to be there. So seriously, like what other reason is there for you to want to be there Uh, than you get to hang out with me? So today we are talking about something that all of us deal with from the moment that we're about old enough to be in here because kids church is different for them but old enough to be in here this is in our head this is in like affecting decisions that we make this is making a lot of the decisions for us this is invading our dreams this is keeping us up at night what we're talking about is something that we deal with all the time And as soon as I say what it is, those of you like 18 and under will probably check out because that's not my problem. Like, I don't even have enough to make that a problem. But there are so many things that you learn, high schoolers, junior highers, I'm talking to you. You learn at this age of life that will follow you forever, okay? Part of your job living with your parents is to not torture your siblings okay you learn to live well with siblings and you think as soon as i move out i don't have to deal with any difficult people again if you are older than 18 you know that's a lie because all of life is filled with difficult people and thank god that he put you around siblings and parents and cousins and neighbors and just people that you'd really have nothing to do with but they share your last name so you have to learn to be nice to them so that as you go through life you know how to deal difficult people what we're talking about today is one of those things that applies to all of us and it all gives us a reason today to dig in because just like dealing with difficult people learning how to get on God's page for this and learning to let God's way of thinking about this into your way of thinking about this changes everything what we're talking about today is money money Okay? If you're like, I'm sixth grade, I only have an allowance, great, this is the best place to start, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Like You've got a great, like perfect path onto obeying God around your money, and there's a reason that it's perfect for you as a sixth grader that's way better than for me as a 38-year-old trying to jump on this. And the reason that we're talking about money is because money is one of those things that gets in our hearts, it gets in our heads, and especially now that we're headed beelining toward the holidays, uh, we're past Halloween, which means we're in like pre-Christmas time, uh, that, that this becomes a real thing for us. And we're gonna look at an instance, an incident that Jesus had with someone. And they come to him with one type of issue, and Jesus blows up the issue, magnifies the issue, and instead of just solving his issue, Jesus works to solve the guy's heart and it's an awesome story. It's in Luke 12. You can go there in your Bible in your app right now or if you have neither of those I'm just going to read the story to you and you can listen and think hey this is really cool. Jesus is awesome Uh, and that is still totally true. The first thing we're going to see in this right now is that Jesus sees what's in your heart and he loves you. So before we even get to the do's and the don'ts and all that stuff what we're going to look at today what I want us to center on first is that Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the world, the person who never ever did anything wrong, sees you sitting here, and he loves you. And he demonstrates that by the way that he he interacts with this person in the story. Verse 13, there's a big crowd, and someone calls out to Jesus from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. What's going on up to this point is that Jesus has healed dead people. He's brought them back to life. Uh, he's walked on water. He's used the snack pack to feed a stadium. And the guy's like, you know what? If those three things happen, I think he can fix my tightwad brother. Okay, if Jesus can make dead people come alive, he can make my brother not be a jerk around money. And so Jesus says to him, friend, it's like, great, okay? Because that's not the question that Jesus is dying to answer at this point. At this point in the book of Luke, which is an eyewitness testimony about who Jesus was and the way that he did things written with a purpose so that we can know that Jesus is who he says he is. At this point in the book, Jesus is on a beeline to the cross. What that means for us is Jesus is focused on, he's headed toward giving his perfect life to pay for our sin and pay for our imperfection. Jesus is going there. That's everything that's devoted to that. And somebody says, hey, Jesus, can you help me get some more money? And Jesus responds to him. The first word he says to him is, friend. Friend, why? Because Jesus sees what's in your heart and what's in my heart, and he loves him. This is not the time to ask Jesus the question. Like, I think of this question, and I think of Bill Belichick, the coach of the Patriots, that everybody thinks is just an absolute jerk. If he's in a press conference and somebody asks him a question that he doesn't like, he just says, we're here to talk about football. We're here to talk about next week. We're not here to talk about this. And so Jesus, in this moment, has the opportunity to say, we're here to talk about the cross, not about you and your family dynamics. But instead, he loves the guy. He says, friend. friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? He said, like, this is not what we're talking about. But instead of just talking about it, he moves into an opportunity to teach. And then he said, beware, guard against every type of greed because life is not measured by how much you own. Like he looks at the deeper issue of, hey, loosen up my tightwad brother, fix my tightwad brother so that my life will be good again. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's so much bigger than that. Because I know right now you're thinking about provision. You're thinking about where am I going to eat? I would love to live indoors and have a meal tomorrow. But right now, like God, I need you to work on my situation. I need you to work on my food now. And Jesus blows it up and looks at the bigger picture. Guard against every type of greed because life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus knows just like we eventually will come to know in every situation that our problems are going to stay problems as long as our heart is one of those problems. Nothing's ever gonna get fixed if our heart never gets fixed. Stuff will look good on the outside, but if your heart and my heart are toxic, everything that flows out of us is gonna be toxic. And so what Jesus is doing here and blowing up the situation, moving from God help my tightwad brother to okay, you need to look look at greed because your life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus is saying we're going after the heart. And Jesus knows that our hearts are gonna be messed up around money. And so what he's doing is he's pushing the guy to something that we Would love to experience at some point. But he's like, man, your life isn't going to be solved by just being rich. Like, it's more than that. It's deeper than that. It's not a matter of how much money you have in your bank account or what your credit limit is or, or where you're vacationing or whatever. It's about what goes on in our heart. And what he begins to show the guy is that God is our loving provider and everything we have is a gift from him. And he wants to communicate his story in a way that's going to make sense. He wants to communicate his story in a way that the guy can grab onto and hold onto and take home with him. And so Jesus does what he does so often, and that's he tells a story. He's like, I've got something that's so important, so I want to tack, uh, I want to tack a meaning onto it. I want to attack emotion onto it. So I'm going to give you a story to prove that Jesus is the representation of God, our loving provider, and everything we have is a gift from him. So he tells him a story. Verse 16, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, My friend, I just read that and think he must have no other friends, okay? Because like that, he's calling himself his friend and he has no other friends. His life's pathetic. My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you have worked for? I think the guy's problem in this is, is, is threefold. And Thursday night, we celebrated Halloween. And if your kids are like mine, where Halloween is like a, a scavenger on of what can we get dad to make for us to wear for about 45 minutes that makes his head explode because we come to him with this idea of what we want. And then he has to spend, right now we have 363 days until next year, trying to figure out how to make a trash can costume that will work for an 11-year-old. That's my life right now. Can I get an amen for anybody else who had a crazy create their kids Halloween costume (gasps) okay 363 days it'll be okay by next year it'll be good the guy puts on a series of costumes and these costumes are things that we can identify with things that we can look at in our own life and say yeah that's kind of me the first costume that the guy puts on and we've got awkward pictures for all of them if nothing else entertains you today be glad you're not that girl or whatever is behind her the first costume is the costume of I did it like, I made this. I love it in the story that they're talking about a farm that grows crops. Seriously, what the guy does is he puts seed in the ground and then waits. Like, that's all. Like, there's fertilizer and stuff like that. But ultimately, this is planting and waiting. He's like, I did it. No, you didn't. You waited. Jesus even says very on, like, the guy had a farm. The farm was very fertile. The man didn't do anything. He's not responsible for anything, but for so often, you and I look at our jobs. We look at our ability to bring in money, and we're like, I can do it. I did this. We look at them sometimes when that's not happening and how it causes fear and worry. And we're like, man, I've got to get something to figure out. No, no, no. We worship a God who provides. We worship a God who has the ability to make something out of nothing. Even when it's us coming to him and saying, okay, God, the first step for me in this following you financially is to have some finances to follow you with. And as we do that, we bring those requests to God who can do anything. It's not us, it's God who is our loving provider. Second costume that he has is the costume of, oh, it's better than that, but it's, I've got it. I've got it. Like, I'm the one who controls all of this in life. And what he finds out very soon in the story is the guy dies and every ounce of control that he has falls through his hands. It's like, yeah, he's got no control over this. He's got the plan to build the barns, plan to tear him down, all this stuff. And Jesus is like, nope, he actually doesn't have anything. We're not our own provider. God is our provider in everything. The third costume that the guy puts on and sees if it works for him... Why is that a kid in a diaper box? like I don't get that that's a that's just weird. If that is you, uh, sorry, we can have people pray for you afterwards, and that'll fix that'll fix all of it because Jesus is in charge, but if it's me, it's just like, uh, yeah, yeah, third costume is the costume of I own it. You know these are my barns, this is my grain, this is my wheat, this is all my stuff. I own it. And for all of us, when we're trying to hold on to something, we put it in our hands and we clench our hands around that. And what that means is at that point, nothing else can get in. If you want to receive something from me, if I've never met you afterwards, I'll give you my business card after service. It's got my number. You've you got questions about the church. You need to pray for something. I'm going to give you a business card, and you're going to have your hand open to get it. If you're here for the first time or the third time, you can stop by the visitor's table, and you'll get stuff with your hands open. That's how we receive but when you're like, this is mine, I've got this, we close our hands and we're saying nothing else can get in here. Because this is ours. And for all of us, when we follow Jesus, we've, we've got an opportunity to stay away from autonomy. But to say, okay, God is my provider. Everything I have is from him. I'm stepping out of the costume. I'm taking off my weird diaper box costume of this is mine. And I'm stepping into, okay, it's, it's God's. God's my provider. Whether I'm standing here with little or with much, like it's God who's my provider who gives that to me freely. So as greed destroys, as greed puts on this costume of saying, I did it, I got it, I own it. Greed destroys, God rebuilds. And that statement, greed destroys and God rebuilds, like you can take greed out of there and replace it with so many other things and the second half won't change the same. We're talking about finance today because greed destroys and God rebuilds. Next week, we're talking about healing. So again, if you're like under 18, you're like, I don't have any physical problems because my body's awesome and I'm young and stuff. Again, next week won't apply to you at all, but uh, it totally will because all of us need healing in our lives because God is an always rebuilding God. Whether it's physical healing, whether it's financial healing and greed, whether it's relational healing and unforgiveness and people in our lives that we can't stand, we need Jesus to come in and bring healing to us. If it's around our sexuality and we need healing in that, we bring that to God and we experience the fact that God rebuilds us. And that's all foundational to God's relationship with us. It's because before any of us ever did anything good, bad, neutral, indifferent, whatever, we were loved by God. God saw you, saw your life, knew you'd be sitting here today, and none of that made that love go up or down. It flat out is. It's just constant in your life. As long as you have a pulse, God loves you. And within that love, it's an accurate love. It's an understanding love. It's a knowing love that God knows even better than we do that there are things in our life that push him away. Things in our life that say, I- I've got this. I'm gonna do this my way, and that hurts us. That hurts God. That hurts other people. And what Jesus did as we are pushing ourselves away from God and saying, I'm doing this my way, is Jesus came to live the life that we could never live, to live like us, but to live us sinlessly so that he could take his completely perfect life and cover our imperfect lives on the cross to pay for our sins. He gave his life, willingly died for us so we wouldn't have to die for the effects of the things that we've done. God your greed destroys and God rebuilds and he demonstrates that at the foundation of what it is to be a Christian if you can think of something that destroys in life you're beginning to understand the power of God to rebuild a life and so the story we're looking at today is how greed destroys and God rebuilds and Jesus drops the mic on the story and, and ends it with something for us to understand today His story that ends about about the guy who decided, I'm gonna build new barns and, and all my stuff is gonna be better taken care of and none of it has to get given away to anybody. I'm just gonna build more and make everything better for me. Jesus says, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. He gives us a new lens to look at our money through just as God is able to rebuild anything that could be destructive to us. He says the first step in that is to get to know God. The first step in that is to grow your relationship with God. So in that, what do we do to begin to know God as we read the Bible to know God as our ultimate treasure? The guy in the story, his goal was to build big barns and through agriculture, everything's going to be great. And God's like, no, it's better than that. It's something that won't depend on the water or the weather or pestilence or whatever. It's, It's me. You get to know me and life's gonna be good. That's the beginning of of God rebuilding our finances. We get to know Jesus. Part of the reason that I encourage us to read our Bibles all the time is because it's filled with God's message to us that we are loved, that we are redeemed, that there's new life for us, that there's so many things in the world that tell us that we're not, that we are stuck, that we will never change, that there's no hope, that this is who we are. Jesus comes in and says, nope, because you're a new creation. You're bought with a price. And as we are called unflinchingly, uncompromisingly to honor God with our entire life, and it paints a life that is so perfect and sinless, it is impossible to live out. We see that through the lens of our Jesus, who gave his life for us to cover our imperfection, to give us power from the inside of us to the outside of us, to live out the life that God is calling us to. He's saying, you're going to destroy your life on your own. I'm going to destroy my life on on my own. But as we give Jesus control of it, he's going to come in and rebuild it. And the Bible is filled with that time after time after time, day after day after day. We read it to remind ourselves of who we are. Not just to check off all the stories that we know, but to see how all those stories work into our lives. So that's the first part of rebuilding is we get to know God. Second part is we trust God to meet all of our needs. In our lives, there are going to be needs that fly out from the middle of nowhere. Some we can afford, some we cannot afford. I mean, if you're, if you're young here and you're looking at your parents and you're looking to see what they've done with their finances and the way that you would totally do everything different so that you make sure that all your bills are always paid and there's never any stress, yeah, that's not going to last. Because there's going to be moments in your life where you're like, what in the world is going on here? We are screwed, uh, which could be a nice way of saying it, how you say it. And, uh, and what you're going to find out about Jesus is through every one of those instances, just like you did for your parents, just like you did for your grandparents, God's math is gonna trump our math. That he's gonna show that he can meet all of our needs as we trust him. For some of you, man, that first need is you need a job. It's pretty empowering. It's pretty self-defeating to sit here in a message about finances and just like, man, zero is coming in. I know you're talking about tithing eventually because you're a pastor. And on my bingo card about pastors, it says you have to talk about money at some point. Uh, It's really hard to tithe when you've got nothing coming in. So, you know, step one of you bringing your financial life to God and letting your Jesus life and your money life come together is saying, God, I need a job. We're recognizing God as our provider who loves us and meets all of our needs. And that's an okay thing to pray for. It's not selfish. It's not self-serving. It's not ungodly. God created work. God works at the beginning of the Bible. He's making the world. He's making the earth. He's getting his hands dirty, creating things to show us what it is to work and that it's good. So for you, if your first thing here for a message on finances is to get a job so you can start, that's a good thing to pray for. And in that, we will pray with you, and we are trusting God to meet your needs of a job. So when that job comes, when the money starts to come in, because you're working hard and and you get paid, when you get paid, 10% immediately goes back to God through the church. Okay, this is tithing. This is what uh, churches have talked about, about how to run finances. And the reason that we do this is because it's, it's intentional, mathematical, financial obedience. All of us would sit here and agree, it is good for us to obey God. And God lays out this plan of tithing at the first book of the Bible in Genesis and then drags it through the whole Old Testament, which is the part of the Bible before Jesus came. And it's the practice of how God's people would give back to God through the temple, through their church, out of gratitude for what he had done for them. And it's all explained really well and it's all like kind of brought to an end in a perfect way at the end of the Old Testament the period before Jesus when God is having a conversation with a guy named Malachi Uh, and for tithing we're going to put the verses up on the screen so you can fact check me and go back and read the verses around there and all that stuff Uh, but right before it gets to what it says on on the screen God is talking to this guy Malachi and he said should people cheat God yet you have cheated me but you ask what do you mean when did we ever cheat you You've cheated me, God says, out of the tithes and offerings that are due to me. You are under a curse because your whole nation has been cheating me. So bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. It's that idea that out of everything that comes in, 10% goes back to God. And what that does is it gets us in the habit of living open handed before God. We start with giving away 10%, which, like I said, if you're starting as a sixth grader, dang, that's nice. Because 10% of your $5 a month allowance is 50 cents, okay? You grow up, you get a grown-up job, and all of a sudden 10% is a little bit more than 50 cents, all right? Regardless of how much you're unhappy with your wage, it's more than 50 cents. So that's why we talk about tithing in groups like this. It's not just a 35 and older issue. It's a how early do we start obeying? It's an obedience issue. It's financial independent or financial intentional mathematical obedience. We're saying, okay, God, everything I have is yours. I am open-handed before you. I'm giving the 10% back to you first so that I can learn to live on the next 90% and get used to giving stuff away. And that's giving in the New Testament is get used to giving stuff away because the whole New Testament, that's the part about Jesus. The standard of giving goes from 10% to your life, all right? The whole... Like the basis of the New Testament, the part about Jesus is the life of Jesus. The person who had no reason to come down and live on earth had no reason to die for us, but he did it out of love because God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. All of a sudden, that standard of giving goes from a measly 10% to the rest of your life. Okay, at that point, 10% is much less. So seven weeks after Jesus died, rose from the dead, and then 10 days after he ascended and went back up into heaven, Jesus' followers start gathering in churches. And just as Jesus demonstrated for them a completely new way to give and a completely new way to live open-handedly before God, as a group they start to try this out. They start to live generously in a way that's completely unlike anything around them. And it says this in Acts 2. It's the standard of giving gone through the roof. All of a sudden, it's not your house. It's it's a house for anyone who needs it. That's way more than 10%. It's not your car. It's a car for you and you know anyone else who needs it. So my car is not just mine. I mean, like, I'll drive it home today, and if anybody else needs a ride, like, we'd stop by. And then if somebody else needs it next week, I mean, you can take it, and I'll just hoof it from my house all the way down here and all that stuff, and that'll be fun carrying the kids' lessons. My workout clothes and that sweaty stuff, like, that's still mine, uh, but everything else, it gets shared among the group, and, and we do this together, and we let what we have become together, and you're like, well, that's not tithing. It never says tithing. It just says you should be nice and stuff. Matthew 23, 23, great verse. That solves everything. Jesus says you should tithe. There we go. There's the answer, but what it does is it gets us in the habit of giving stuff away, It gets us in the habit of giving our lives, living our lives open-handed before God to say, okay, the first 10% is going to you. Right after I get paid, it's going to you. And what we do financially, because it's great to live in 2019, uh, what Anna and I do is we put our tithe on on our bank cards, Uh, and on the 1st and on the 15th, automatically I wake up to these emails uh, from the company that runs our app saying thank you for your gift to Mountain View Church Uh, because from the app, we're able to designate where our tithe is going and when it's going tithe, that's 10%. So take the paycheck, 10%. uh, This is where it's going, and it happens automatically. If you're thinking I can't tithe because I'm never gonna remember to write a check, and honestly, I'm a dude, so I don't write checks period. Uh, We do it through the app and it happens automatically. It's automated intentional mathematical obedience, which I'm really, really excited about. Uh, But this is how we do it. It's breaking greed in our lives and it's giving us the practice of giving stuff away. And the reason we give through the church is because people like us. The reason we give through the church is because there are people like us who didn't used to know Jesus, And when we met Jesus, everything for us changed. Everything became new. Our old life became our old life. Greg was talking to me this morning, Pastor Greg, about uh, some stuff that happened in Myanmar this weekend, uh, and a bunch more people became Christians, and a lot more people got baptized. uh, And he's reading all this off of his phone, and it all happened because people at Mountain View Sunnyside gave to missions. Some of that went overseas to Myanmar, and they're doing outreach in Myanmar. So as we give, we're transforming lives here locally, nationally, globally in places that we may never go. Like, I didn't plan to go to Myanmar this weekend, but I can give to see people meet Jesus there. And so we tithe because we were lost. We tithe because we didn't always know Jesus. We tithe because there's sin in our life that the church took us through and took us away from to a better life. We tithe because people need to know Jesus. So after the 10% goes to God, we budget the next 90% wisely budgeting is telling our money what to do it's saying this much is going to be spent on housing this much is going to spend, be spent on eating this much is going to be spent on buying awesome clothes this much is going to be set aside each month and after six months we can take all that money we can go on a cool vacation that we would never be able to afford if we were just paying for stuff all the time but we're going to tell our money what to do around budgeting and if you're checked out and you're like okay that sounds really boring but that sounds really impossibly difficult it's okay. Uh, we run Financial Peace here as a church. It's awesome because it helps you get on your feet financially and tell your money what to do. Uh, Nina is going to put my phone number up on the screen. It'll stay there for a little while. If you're like, I'd love to run a budget, but I have no clue of where to start, send, uh, text me anything, and I will send you uh, the spreadsheet that somebody else created and we modified to, to work for us here uh, at Mountain View said, This isn't like the absolute perfect 12 week financial course uh, from Dave Ramsey and stuff like that. This is how to get on your feet financially and put some parameters, put some structure around what goes on for you financially. Another thing that's gonna help big uh, in budgeting is guarding your heart around social media, okay? Everybody puts their best on social media. Uh, everybody puts the best picture of their car where the transmission might have just blown up and fallen out as they were driving down the highway. They don't put the bad pictures, they put the absolute best. And so when we're looking at stuff and we see stuff, we can't get sucked into automatically hating our own stuff. Saying, man, I can't stand the car that I have that has 157,000 miles on it. I would love to have something else. We were talking with a guy in life group a while ago and he's like, man, it's great to hear somebody talk about tithing and giving uh, who has a really crappy car. I'm like, thanks, buddy appreciate it (laughs) by the way group is canceled for everyone no it's not really we just don't want them there uh that'd be mean but uh we can't just use that to to suck in and hate everything about what we have because everybody only posts the best we also can't do the opposite and judge everybody else's posts and say man of course they're in hawaii again they're spending all their money recklessly we don't know that they were given a trip of course he has a new car we don't know how long they saved up for that car we don't know if somebody just kind of plopped it on their lap and said hey here you go like we don't know so we guard defensively to keep from us hating our own stuff and we also guard offensively to judge everybody else by their stuff that they so recklessly spend money on like we don't know with budgeting what we do is we use it to tell our money what to do and some of that is we shut up around other people's stuff third thing is joy comes from learning when to spend when to save when to be generous and when to find new friends okay I was talking with another one of you uh and she's talking about these friends that are coming to her and they've got these money issues because they see all the vacations everybody's going on and they see all the plastic surgery everybody's getting and they're like I I don't know how I can keep up I don't know how I can afford the vacations and the plastic surgery and everything that my friends get and one of you looked at them and said you know what You just need new friends, all right? Just ditch those and find some new friends to help you feel better about yourself and all that stuff. Joy comes from learning when to spend, when to save, when to be generous. Like part of telling our money what to do is part of discipline saying, okay, right away 10% goes to God. We're gonna manage the rest in a way that's gonna honor Jesus, in a way that's gonna provide for us, for our kids, for people around us who need some help. We're gonna manage that the best way we can. And when there's money left over, we're gonna spend it and we're gonna have fun. right, Jesus wore sandals. That means that if you want to, if like the end of the month is there and you got money money to buy some new sandals, you're being like Jesus if you're responsibly buying new sandals, right? There you go. It's November. It's about to get cold. You can buy a pair that is going to be great in like April when it's way too stupid hot again. But there's joy for us. Part of us telling our money what to do at the beginning of the month is so that we hit the end of the month and we can go out and we can have fun with it. And joy comes from learning when to spend, when to save, and when to be generous. And so, for us, our step in here, our, our lean in moment is to look for where's the next step of obedience for us around finances. If your next step is to get a job, that's something to pray about. That's something to invite Jesus in and saying, Jesus, I need a job. I need you to provide this for me. If you've got no history of faith, no history of experiencing God coming in and doing a miracle in your life, this is a great one. Because every day when you go to work, you're going to know this is a job from Jesus and that's a good thing. If you've got a job and tithing is something that's absolutely not happening in your life, my challenge to you today is to no longer live in fear, no longer live in doubt, no longer live in selective obedience to Jesus, but instead to say, okay, God, I'm going to start this. It goes back to what God said in Malachi. Try this. Let me prove it to you. You can put me to the test. That's pretty powerful language. Like, we can take Jesus up on that he understands money worry, and he also understands his ability to provide for us. So if you don't tithe, today is your day to start. If you're already tithing, you're like, cool, I'm done. Nope, because the standard of giving in the, in the New Testament, the Jesus part, is saying, okay, everything that I have, God, is yours. My whole life, everything is yours. What do you want to use? And if you've already got a job, you're already tithing, you're already uh, doing that part, then you know it's just to continue to stay open-handed, continue to stay open-hearted and say, oh God, where do you want to use me? What do you want to do in me? What do you want to create through me? Because the last point, everyone is generous. Eventually. There will come a day in your life where you leave everything you have ever owned, ever earned, ever invested, you leave that because you die. And our prayer is that you're going to heaven to be with Jesus. At that point, everything you own will be left behind. It's not fitting in the casket with you. The point is, is for us to press into generosity before it's too late. To press into generosity while it's still our decision. Jesus says you're foolish to, to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. And our goal, our prayer, our mission is that we grow in that rich relationship with God. And that works its way into every, every, every other area of our life, finances included. So let's stand, let's worship, and we're going to end today.